bonjour and bienvenue to Battle Royale, where we are passing judgment on all of the kings and emperors of France, from Clovis to Napoleon III. Who will be selected as the creme de la creme, and who will be sent to the guillotine? Jean-Paul Ben Clark. And I'm Eliza Summers. And let's get straight into it. Who was our last king, Eliza? the second. Yep. And who are we doing now? Louis VIII. Yes. That's um, the first of many quizzes today. Oh, God. <laughs> Why do you do uh, this to me? Don't worry, we're not doing like an you actual You see that comment that one of our <laughs> listeners left where he's like, I score more than Eliza? <laughs> I was like, everyone scores more than me. I feel like if somebody's like binged it, that they, they would probably score more than you pretty easily but if they if they'd gone if they'd been going like if they've been doing like an episode every two weeks which is what you've yeah. done like yeah. or sometimes longer do as well yeah yeah so don't feel too bad about yourself yeah i just think of my jellyfish memory i also saw a lot of people commenting saying that um you did better than them so oh <laughs> That Average means about. They have a jellyfish memory too. For the casual listener, what is a jellyfish memory again? Okay, so you know how people always have that saying, like goldfish memory? Like, mm-hmm. They're forgetful as a goldfish. So for me, since a jellyfish has no brain, I'm as forgetful as a jellyfish. So basically, there's times where I'm like, have no brain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So and that's it feels like okay. it's more accurate. Yep. It's a better comparison. People need to use that comparison that I've invented more. We will make it international. Okay. <laughs> so, Louis VIII. Um, so, he's following on from Philip Augustus, which is mm-hmm. maybe big shoes to, fill. to follow, big shoes to fill. And there's a lot of overlap with King Philip II's reign because Louis was the heir to France for a long time. Um, oh. And he does a lot during his father's reign. Um, oh. so at various points, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to like quiz you on stuff that happened last episode, but they're probably easy to remember. For example, can you explain what the Angevin empire was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've already forgotten. What the Angevin empire? Okay. So. Okay. I was thinking I was going to be like, oh yeah, it's like Henry and Eleanor. And then I'm like. Yeah, no, that's it. So it's. Oh, it is? It's everything that the. I... the Plantagenet English kings rule oh, within I, France. Oh, okay. I thought, I doubt, the reason why I said I know is because I doubt myself in a second. I was like, no, that's not them. They have a different name, don't they? Yeah. Because I was thinking Plantagenets. Well, the Plantagenets are the dynasty. The Angevin Empire is the name for the territory within France that they have during this particular period. So Although, of course. They've just done the Plantagenet. Yeah, maybe they should have called it the Plantagenet Empire. But they are. Or the Eleanor Empire. Yeah. Well, they are Angevins in that they are from Anjou. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is the region that Plantagenets are from. And they wouldn't have actually called themselves Plantagenets back in the day. They would have called themselves mm. Angevins. Um, and, of course, last episode, Philip's episode, what happened to the Angevin Empire? Probably an easy question. It crumbled as Philip managed to get chunks of it as John was coming in charge because he is weak ass <laughs> yes we've got to block so, that out yes, yes. so that. bad king john came to the throne and he, he screwed everything up and uh he basically philip, gave away the land philip took advantage of him and then he ended up with only the bottom left hand corner of france like half of aquitaine 
and Gascony, yeah. which, if you look on a map, is a very, very small bit yeah. of, of coastline. And was left with basically nothing. Yes. And we'll see, but Louis VIII had a lot to do with that. Mm, that. Cool. Yes. Let's get into his life story. So he was uh, Louis VIII, or Louis the Lion, as, as we can also call mm-hmm. him, because it's got an epithet. Um, he was born on the 5th of September, 1187, seven years into the reign of his father, Philip II. Okay. Um, and his mother was Isabella of Ainault, who right. uh, belonged to the senior branch of the House of Flanders. Mm. Um, so she came in with all these claims to various lands in, in northeastern mm-hmm. France. Louis is said to have inherited his Flemish mother's beauty and fair complexion. Oh. Uh, though on the downside, he was considered short. And like his father, he had major health problems at an early age. Oh, that's sucks. So mum sadly died just three years after uh, Louis was born, uh, after she'd given birth to short-lived twins. Uh, Yeah, yeah, whereupon Louis inherited from her the restless border region of Artois, which is on Mm. the border of modern France and Belgium, which became his sort of training ground as a a ruler. He was never actually made the Count of Artois officially, but those territories were his, like, you know, yeah, domain. de facto by inheritance. Mm. So shortly after his mother died, uh, Louis's father left on the Third Crusade with King Richard yeah. the Lionheart of England, uh, mm. leaving in charge Louis's grandmother, Queen Adela, and mm. her brother, Archbishop William of Rennes. If you remember, they both belonged to the House of Blois. Mm-hmm. And during the crusade, four-year-old Louis fell gravely ill. Oh, so oh it's yeah. It's a bit, a bit scary too. for a moment. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you remember, um, according to the chronicler Rigord, upon being touched by the relics from Saint Denis, he was miraculously healed. Mm. But news of his son's great illness was probably part of what prompted King Philip to return from the crusade, mm. and his son's condition prompted a new desperation for the king to produce more heirs. Yeah. So Philip would eventually have another son, Philip Jr., by his third yeah. wife, Agnes of Morania. Yeah. But because of his trouble divorcing Ingeborg, his second wife, mm. this last episode, Philip Jr. was never considered like 100% legitimate. Uh. So we won't hear much from him this episode. Louis pretty much remained the sole heir. Did we count him as legitimate in Philip's? We did because, I mean, Agnes and Philip definitely considered themselves married for most of mm. their marriage. And also the Pope uh, officially legitimized them. Yeah. Okay. So I think we can, I we can we did, count them. Remember. We can count them as, as legitimate, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit tricky though. Yeah. Um, however, Prince Louis survived his infancy. Woo. He ended up being a strong soul heir, grew to be very intelligent as well. Uh, he, he aced his Latin exams. Um, <laughs> And he was very into poetry, chivalry, and courtly love as well. Nice. So finally we have a king who's truly a child of the 12th century Renaissance that's been flowering during Philip's reign. And uh, he's growing up in a Paris that is finally becoming like a big cultural center. Um, with Beautiful. With like universities and, and like the paved streets. And... Looks nice. <laughs> it looks nice. Not like Eleanor's time. And the building of Notre Dame as well. That's also happening. So then uh, he reached the age of 12 
and Mm -hmm. um obviously when you reach the age of 12 it's time to get married um (laughs) it is junior king time uh actually louis is never made junior king as you'll find because that's how stable things were in france he didn't need to be yeah because it was very it was pretty unquestionable at this point who the heir was Mm. um so throughout the 1190s england was an obvious choice for a marriage alliance because Mm -hmm. the wars between them were incessant yeah and philip was losing ground to richard after the king of england's return from getting imprisoned Mm. on the way back from crusade However, options were limited because neither Richard nor his brother John had any children at this point. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it really limits it. That really limits it. Their infant niece, Eleanor of Brittany, so the daughter of Geoffrey, was mm-hmm. a strong contender for the prince's hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tensions were too high for an agreement to be made um, during Richard's lifetime. Um, but thankfully, well, Richard killed each other if they came in sight. Yeah. Thankfully, she dies. Thankfully, Richard dies. Oh, um, I thought it was Shane. I was going to be like, how no, is no, that no. good? I can't remember what happens to Eleanor of Brittany, but Richard dies in 1198. And after a brief conflict with John, Philip met him for the peace treaty of Le Goulet, mm-hmm. where John ceded a bunch of land in Normandy and uh, Berry yeah. to the King of France. Mm. Um, this was the, the first big ceding of land. Um, and Eleanor of Aquitaine, helped to engineer the marriage of young Prince Louis to John's niece, Blanche of Castile, also age 12. Oh, that's nice. At least they're the same age. At Mm. least it's not like baby and 12-year-old. So the marriage uh, took place on the 23rd of May, 1200. Blanche was the daughter of Alfonso VIII of Castile and Eleanor of England. Okay, nice. So, you know, Richard and John's sister. And uh, so this was a nice sort of triple alliance between England, France, mm. and uh, the Spanish kingdom. Still... Yeah. So the the couple didn't have their first child until five years into the marriage, for obvious reasons. Yeah, obvious, um, yeah. This was Blanche Jr. But from the age 70. of about 20, the, the prince and princess were extremely prolific with... Oh, so they got along well. Yes. So after securing a, a son called Philip in 1209. Blanche was nearly constantly pregnant for about 15 years from 1212 oh. to 1227. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Sounds like torture. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into just how many children this means for the throne. Um, and, and God, imagine all the... Survived. Oh, gosh. Just imagine all the birthing, like the pain so many times. Mm. We'll be right back after this. The commander said, don't worry, I don't have the authority to kill you today. Which was positive, for that day anyway. In 1993, Chris Moon was captured by the Khmer Rouge while clearing landmines in Cambodia. With survival probability low, Chris was brought in front of the boss. He was just given a local nickname, Mr. Clever. Hi, I'm Steve Windus, host of the Batting the Breeze podcast. I'd love you to check out how Chris survived, along with some other great human stories at battingthebreeze.com. Hopefully see you there. And the amount of them that would have been, you know, for nothing. Mm, that mm. makes me sad. Yeah. It's kind of like Queen Anne. Yeah. But we'll get we'll get much further into detail with, with, with Blanche later. later. So 
Louis's relationship with his father, Philip, is rather interesting because Philip seems to have been intensely distrustful of Louis. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, we've said he never made Louis Jr. King. It was partly yeah. because of the stability, but also partly because Philip liked to give Louis as little power as, as possible. Um, of course. Like, he didn't even knight Louis um, until he was age 22. Um, and by the way, we haven't really talked about it, but knighting is becoming a very important sort of rite of passage for young nobles and princes. Oh. So Philip, as we know, was rather paranoid. And with his boom in territory, he foresaw a similar thing happening to him as happened to Henry II of England, the creator of the Angevin Empire, which then just got squabbled over incessantly by his sons mm-hmm. um, before he was even dead. And <laughs> Louis, however, proved his father wrong. Um, he <laughs> was not rebellious in the slightest, and he was loyal mm. to a, an absolute fault. Good quality. He and Blanche did indeed have disputes with Philip about him withholding power and responsibility from them, but it never boiled over into sort of court faction fighting or like yeah. civil war. Um, at the end of the day, Louis could console himself with the fact that he was still the undisputed heir and um, his inheritance would come to him in due course. True, true, true. So while Louis is being kept off to the side, uh, war continued on, on and off between Philip and John, with Philip eventually sweeping through and getting the second big chunk of land, <laughs> um, conquering the majority of John's French lands after John refused uh, to answer for crimes against their vassals. He'd stolen one of their wives, remember? Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, Philip was like, John, you've got to come to court. And John was like, no. So Philip was yeah, like, uh, very well, your land's a forfeit. And then he swept through. Yeah. And, Am I now? Yeah. So this then prompted John in 1213 to make an alliance with the Holy Roman Emperor Otto IV, his nephew. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and to launch a two-pronged invasion of France. Yeah. Uh, so Flanders uh, also joined in on the action against France. And, and of course. And uh, Louis himself That's is actually does. partly to blame for this. Um, oh. So as Count of Artois, he had expanded his territory into Flemish lands the previous ah, year, um, right. taking the key strongholds of Saint-Omer and Aire. So... Flanders getting these castles back was part of their reason for, for jumping on board. Yeah, okay, the that invasion. makes sense. Yeah. They're not just doing it for the sake. No, <laughs> no. That's what they seem to like to do. Yeah. And while the German emperor and the Flemish allies came in from the northeast, John was to approach from the southwest, uh, where he mm-hmm. had managed to cling on to Aquitaine and Gascony. Yeah. So John landed at La Rochelle, his major port city, mm. on the 15th of February, my birthday, uh, 1214. Ooh. And Philip was forced to split the royal troops into a Western mm. army and an Eastern army. Yeah. Philip was going to take the Eastern army and then went off to win the Battle of Bouvines against the Emperor yeah. and Flanders. Uh, but who's taken the Western army? Louis! Louis. And so at last, at long last, Louis was given a proper military command in his mid-twenties at this point. And he was sent with half the French army to go and and meet John. I wonder how big the French army was in total. Must have been massive. Oh, it was huge at this time. Yeah. um, uh, Philip made it 10 times bigger um, than it had been in the Do you know the number? Roughly? Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. 
um, I don't think I wrote the wrote them down, but it but it went from like in the thousands to the tens of thousands, basically. Cool. Yeah. So things initially didn't go well for Louis's Western army. Um, yeah. John managed to corner him and besiege him at the castle of Rochamoine in Poitou. Mm-hmm. So Louis held out for about half a month uh, from wow. the 19th of June to the 2nd of July. Not really an impressive amount of time to hold out in a siege. Um, he didn't have I don't adequate... think I'd last a day in a siege. <laughs> I would just give up immediately. <laughs> Basically. Um, Second my supply of chocolate ran out, I'd be like, just kill me. He didn't have adequate supplies of defences. Um, well, that's pretty good then to last even half a month then. Yeah, he, he ran out of chocolate after half a month. Half oh, a month. So Louis, <laughs> Louis was forced to sally forth and that meet John's soul. army outside the gates. Um, however, the forces John had drawn from the local Poitevin region <laughs> suddenly refused Ooh. to fight the oh. crown prince and oh. they deserted his army. Oh. So this forced John to retreat all the way back to La Rochelle and get back on a ship to England. <laughs> so, th- so this is Louis' first victory um, at, at Rochamoine. And um, do you know? Does anyone know why they just stopped supporting John? Um, it's unclear to me as to like the timing, um, but my guess is that John was Johnning. John was yeah. being his his old John self, and they just got fed up yeah, with him. That, and they were yeah, like, "Why are we even sense. attacking our our own king?" Um, yeah, our own prince. Like, come on, because the king of England's the king of England was not their king. The king of England was True. just their duke. So. Yeah, they're like, why are we taking the prince for for a duke? Exactly. Following this victory, um, news came of his father's much more glorious and eventful campaign in the north, uh, where Philip Augustus had beaten the emperor at the Battle of Bouvines, as we said, on the 27th of July. Probably because he got remembered because it was an actual battle compared to... Yeah, it was an actual battle. "Mm, mm, It was an actual all-out battle, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, Philip sent, sent them all packing back to Germany where the emperor got deposed. That's fun. Mm-hmm. So the Battle of Bouvines was the last major event in Philip II's life that we really talked about in depth, um, aside yeah. from his death, even though he has another seven years left in him. Mm-hmm. Because I felt that Philip's two-parter was long enough, um, A, and <laughs> B, uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought we could save a bunch of this stuff for, for Louis' episode. Because, um, yeah. yeah. From this point, Philip, he continues to be the head honcho. It's not like there's a prince regent or anything like yeah, Philip's yeah. still in charge, but the major events are very Louis oriented. So oh, okay. we'll get into it. So the war against England and the empire was won, uh, but Louis was not in the mood for peace. He'd tasted mm-hmm. military power mm-hmm. and, uh, and he it wanted out he more. Was, he wanted more and it turned out he was pretty decent at it. So, Seeing this, the paranoid Philip decided to send Louis on another campaign far, far away from Paris. <laughs> and um, he sent him down to... Barcelona? Not that far. <laughs> oh. Bit closer. What's happening in the south of France right now? John? No, no, no. Um, heretics. Out. Oh, heretics. Right. So Philip that. sends uh, Louis down to participate in the Albigensian Crusade, the crusade against the Cathars. Oh, right. Um, which we're going to get into a bit more depth into. I always in like a, the word Cathars. Patreon episode. 
Um, yes, cathars. So, do you remember what the cathar, what their sort of whole deal was? Something that probably went against what Christian faith was, or something. Oh, was it something like women equal or something? Yeah, women were equal. They, they were sort of pacifist. Um, they didn't like eating meat. They didn't like killing things. And so they the were just vegans. generally really lovely people. <laughs> they were vegans of the. Vegan. They also didn't believe in um, in reproducing. <laughs> oh right, yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a downer. <laughs> that was that was that was the bit that was a bit um, dubious about their beliefs, but the rest of it seemed pretty cool. Yeah, um, sure. Well, except for the meat, I do like my meat. Yeah, at least so they're the not al- making me give up chocolate though. Yeah. So the Albigensian Crusade had been going for about six years at this point um, Mm -hmm. with royal funding, but not direct involvement from the king. Um, So it's now April 1215 and Prince Louis arrives with royal troops in the county of Toulouse, Mm. um, accompanied by his father's cousin, Philip of Dura, the Bishop of Beauvais, who had actually accompanied his father on the Third Crusade. So he's a battley bishop, and he's now age Yay. fifty-seven, and he's Damn, going he's on another crusade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. That's Philip of Dura. Thought he was worth mentioning. Um, yes. And the two of them uh, joined up with the leaders of this weird internal crusade. Um, and these were a knight named Simon de Montfort, the father um, of the more famous Simon de Montfort um, from English history, okay. and. A rather vicious abbot named Arnold Amalric. Amalric. And if you remember, Amalric uh, once ordered that an entire city be massacred regardless of religion because God would sort oh, them out when they're all dead. Right. <laughs> so that's he's not he's not nice. Um, yeah, he's not good. Yeah. So Louis was generally m- more supportive of Simon's more conciliatory tactics uh, with dealing with the Cathars than he was with Amalric's more bloodthirsty ones. But even mm-hmm. so, Louis did still order the burnings of many, many heretics uh, throughout this Like um, witch burning? Crusade. Yes, like that. Mm. Yeah, like burning at stake. It's in Ooh. full swing at this time. Um, I have to say fire would be one of the worst way to die. Mm. die. Although if you remember, burning at the stake is something that's been happening for the last... Yeah. 200 years at this point since uh, Robert II. He, he was the first mm. big proponent of that. Mm. Rather the guillotine myself than fire. Mm. Quick. So Louis hangs around, he hangs around um, uh, the south of France. He, he, he's there when, when Toulouse uh, falls uh, to Simon, mm. but he, he heads back north to spend the autumn in Paris. Mm. And the Albigensian Crusade is far from over, but but suddenly there's another opportunity that presents itself for Louis um, to gain even more glory than a crusade would give him. Mm. Um, So two emissaries arrive in Paris from Mm. England. Their names are Robert Fitzwalter and Sayer de Quincy, which Mm. Sayer de Quincy is a great name. Um, It really is. Though they aren't here on behalf of King John, um, and they aren't here to see King Philip. Oh-ho! They're here to see Prince Louis, and what? they speak on behalf of the Barons' Alliance. Oh. Because we are now in the midst of the first 
English barons war. Um, uh, so the so all of John's lords, well, not all of John's lords, but a, a large number of them, majority, majority, they're completely fed tired up. of him. Yeah, they're completely fed up with his like overbearing and arbitrary ruling style. And they've always looked at Philip II and his dynasty as ideal rulers. Um, and they've seen firsthand uh, princes, Prince Louis's prowess in battle. Mm-hmm. So they came to ask Louis to, quote, aid the English barons in their fight against John. With the, with the promise that if he helped them kick John off the English throne, he would be able to claim it himself. Oh. Mm. So that's right. Prince Louis the Lion has just been invited to be king of England. Ah. Yeah. So just think, imagine if he'd got that crown, how everything would have changed. Yeah. So he was. He was. Uh, Louis was preferred over his father Philip because a his wife Blanche of Castile had a slight claim on England, being the daughter yeah, of an English princess. The niece. Yeah. And b he was the. He was in his prime at the age of 27 while, while Philip was nearly 50. So they An old man. Philip couldn't be much help. Um, so Louis was very gung-ho for this opportunity, but Philip was more mm-hmm. hesitant. Um, Philip was on thin ice with Pope Innocent III. If you remember um, from last episode, was a very um, yeah. involved Pope <laughs> in the dealings between mm-hmm. uh, Philip and John. Um this was both because of Philip's marriage scandals and because he kept breaking truces with England. Um, and Left and right. <laughs> gobbling up the Ottoman Empire, yeah. At this point, the Pope was more supportive of John. And um, mm. we'll get to it, but the papal legate in England, Cardinal Bicchieri, was actually the, the bane of Louis' existence. He, he, was, he was very against the, uh, the French royal family coming in and taking over. Um. Mm. The Pope also opposed Magna Carta, um, which was the agreement that John's barons had forced him to sign um, before the barons' war. And then John had sort of, you know, gone back on it. And then that's how the war had started. Um, So the Pope called Magna Carta a a ludicrous and blatantly treasonous document. Um, Mm -hmm. So to join the barons' war, which aimed to impose Magna Carta, could easily mean excommunication for Philip and Louis. But it would also then show the other royal families that that could happen to, like, in the other dynasties, that that could happen to them. Exactly, just, yeah. Just easily. It's a dangerous precedent. But uh, Crafty Philip, he always gets what he wants one way oh. or another. So yeah. he was, uh, he has a not at all staged public argument with Louis in which <laughs> Philip is heard to shout, do whatever you like, but it will never succeed because the English are traitors and felons. Um... <laughs> And then while nobody's looking, I presume, Philip uh, proceeds to give a giant wink and slips his son a giant bag of cash from under his robe. (laughs) (laughs) So Philip basically, um, he acts as though uh, Louis is going against his will, um, Mm. but privately he's encouraging his son to go off on on this quest and, you know, get out of his hair again. There's the parent in front getting really mad at the kid and then you see the other parent behind being like, yeah, good job, (laughs) like mouthing that. It's like that, but Philip is both parents. But he's both, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a single father. He does what he can. Um, so Louis... Uh, his mother and father. Yeah, so Louis went ahead and called an assembly at Melun, uh near Paris, mm-hmm. where he declared the English throne to be vacant 
due to Ooh. John Plantagenet's violation of his obligations Ooh. to his vassals. And that he was to become King Louis I of England. <laughs> mm-hmm. But because the invasion wasn't publicly endorsed by the king, Louis couldn't rely on his father's huge levies Giant of knights uh, to basically, and he had to basically Elf. recruit his army from scratch. Um, however, he didn't necessarily need the full force of the French army for his invasion. Because for one thing, he had the English ban- barons like inviting him. Support, <laughs> yeah. And who had You're forces like... of their own. And yeah. Also, there were there were loads of French knights and mercenaries who were keen to sign up for the expedition and, and make a name for himself, um, yeah. including many of Louis's own cousins. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, k- kicking John's butt is always a good time. It's cherry on the cake. Yes. So in just a few months, Louis gathers together a force of four to 5,000 men, um, including 1,200 elite knights. Mm. The invasion didn't start off with good omens. Uh, so mm-hmm. the English barons and the French at one point get together for a little tournament to sort of train for yeah. war and to sort of celebrate their alliance. Yeah. And one of the English leaders, uh, Geoffrey de Mandeville, is accidentally mm-hmm. killed by a French knight in the tournament. Oh. So that's not a great start. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> however, the, um, the, the invitation to invade went ahead and Louis and his army were ferried across the English Channel making really? landfall in Kent on the 21st of May, 1216. Mm, nice. And Louis was so keen to get off the boat that he waded ashore before anyone else. So he's <laughs> and just like him, like, they're line. like, Sire! And he's just really like jumping. He's like, nah, I'm swimming. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining him with, with, with um, like floaties, uh, with like fleur-de-lis on them. Yes. <laughs> and then you see in the background, being like, Sire, come back! It's only a few more minutes and then you could walk off the boat. I just imagine everything the French royal family owns is just covered in fleur de lis. Yeah. So um That's how you know they're French. Yeah. They're wiping their face with a napkin, it's covered in fleur de lis. Yeah. They're they're sitting Putting on a chain pot, it's covered in fleur de lis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably literally the case. So um true, true. So Louis is actually the first Capetian king to ever set foot on the island of Britain. Fun oh, um, yeah. I mean, he's not king yet, but he will be king. Um, yeah. And he's the only French king to, to set foot on Britain, aside from Louis IV, uh, who was called Louis Doutremer, Louis from overseas. Oh, yeah. Who, if you remember, yeah, was yeah. raised in exile yeah. at the Anglo-Saxon court 300 yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, in, that's an interesting fact factoid um mm. but of course the elephant in the room is that we know louis f- will fail because yeah. there's no king louis of england um however we've got to bear in mind throughout this story that i'm about to tell that his defeat was by no means a foregone conclusion in fact he yeah. was the favorite to win um oh. at the time of his landing yeah hence why so many of the english barons were already jumping ship to to join his side yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember, England doesn't have the same stable primogeniture situation that France does at this point. Mm. Ever since William the Conqueror, there have been disputes over who should wear the English crown. It's not the same situation Mm. in France where they manage to have a son every single time um, with the Capetians. Um, Yeah. 
So think of it. Little... Think of the English situation as more like kind of how this, how the late Carolingian situation was, where like um... nobody knew who was going to be king next <laughs> each time. Uh, okay, okay, okay. There's always um, different factions fighting as yeah. well. Even though we've got lots of male heirs, it's like there's all there's always you know Bit of fighting, different yeah. ones fighting against each other, and people aren't having sons quick enough and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So King John, uh, meanwhile, where's King John? Um, Hold he up had, somewhere. Yeah, complaining. He'd spent early 1216 putting down northern rebels and beating back a Scottish invasion, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty much our first mention of Scotland in the, in the podcast. I'm hmm. just realizing. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's fun. Well, England um, really doesn't have anything to do with Scotland. I mean, not England. I mean France. Yeah, England has right a lot now. to do with Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. France and Scotland have more to do with each other increasingly. Yeah. As, as, as it, yeah, yeah. but right now, yeah. before then, I mean, yeah, right now the, the the Scots are only just emerging from being like far off barbarians to being like a proper mm. medieval kingdom. Um. Mm. So by February twelve sixteen, hearing that Louis was on his way, uh, John returned like, south oh, and, and he made it to Bedford, a few miles north of London, and. Mm. Because his barons were against him, John at this point was reliant on mercenaries who he had to pay by pillaging oh. his own vassal's land, which obviously <laughs> did nothing to help the whole revolt situation. Yeah, that really didn't. <laughs> Probably worse than that. Yeah. Once Louis' troops had landed and assembled, um, which mm-hmm. was a two-day process, uh, yeah. Louis made wow. a beeline straight for London and... Um, on the way, he uh, received the surrender of Canterbury, um, where yeah. old family friend St. Thomas Becket was buried, and Rochester, where he received official oaths of homage from the English lords um, of the mm. alliance. He bypassed the big fortress of Dover, um, mm. but we'll have to get back to that at some point. Mm. Uh, so on the 2nd of June, 1216, he got to London. He mm-hmm. came through the gates and once again, mm-hmm. he was met with zero resistance. And wow. Really showed how much everyone hated. Well, yeah. It seemed the people of London were pretty on board for, for King Louis. Yeah, they're always on board when it comes to, like, chucking a king out or not letting them in. Yeah, the Londoners are, are, are a rowdy bunch. Um, and, um, but yeah, the, from their perspective, it's like, they don't think of, like, John as, like, our English mm-hmm. guy and Louis as all oh, this foreign French guy. Yeah. John is French as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that. The English people have been ruled by French people since 1066. So for yeah, nearly 200 years. Yeah, they're French one, okay? Yeah, Hopefully so like, it's better than the last one. Exactly. And this guy was way cooler and nicer than John, so huzzah. Younger um, too. So Westminster Abbey is right there, the crowning place of the English kings. And Louis could just, like, taste St. Edward's crown. But yeah. there was one small problem with him entering the abbey, uh, let alone getting crowned. And that was the tiny little issue that he just received word that he'd, he'd been excommunicated by Cardinal Bicchieri, that's oh. uh, the, the papal mm. legate of, of John, who had fled Canterbury and now, like John, was on the run. <laughs> uh, the excommunication isn't fully legit yet. Um, mm. as all excommunications obviously need to go through the Pope. True. But until the Pope gave the go-ahead or lifted the excommunication, Westminster mm. wouldn't let Louis in. 
Oh, so he couldn't they get closed crowned. the gates. Closed the doors. Uh, exactly. Nor was the Archbishop of Canterbury around to crown him because um, even though the, the Archbishop of Canterbury was pro Louis, he was mm. currently in exile in Rome. Um, uh, yeah, because he had conspired John against exile John. him. Yeah. <laughs> so what should Louis do? Go home. No, he's not giving up. What does he need um, to do? Like, if he can't get crowned right away, what should he do? Like, in the meantime, kill John. Well, we don't want to kill. We don't want to kill John. That would be bad form. <laughs> but, but yeah, he. Yeah, but then you'd kill the prince. He could at least act like the king and uh, okay. start ruling and start uh, taking over the territory that he was meant to rule. Yeah. Because right now he's just gone okay. from Kent to London, which is a very small part of yeah. England. Going a tour. So. Yeah, to do that, he has to get all the English barons to swear homage, and that would be uh, equivalent to him being being crowned. It's like either you get crowned or yeah. you get the homage sworn. Everyone's or you, ideally both, uh, but yeah, that would be you good. Know, if you can't get one, get the other. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Louis sets out west, uh, pursuing John into Hampshire and taking the city mm-hmm. of Winchester. And in stark contrast to John, he offered mercy to all those who surrendered peacefully rather than pillaging lands. And in just one month, Louis and his lieutenants were able to establish control over half of England. Damn. Um, And two out of every three lords had sworn fealty to Louis. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) So this is not just a little failed invasion. This is a big time. Yeah, this is. Exactly. Things uh, progressed so rapidly that after only a month, Louis was, Louis was already setting up his new administration and appointing English government officials. Damn. He also gave up chasing John around, um, yeah. and he settled down yeah. for a long siege of Dover, that castle that he bypassed on his way to London. Oh, right. Down the sort of southern tip of England. So meanwhile, his cousin and advisor, Robert II of Dreux, uh, mm-hmm. took care of besieging Windsor which was also still loyal to John. Mm-hmm. And another contingent had uh, gone up to get Lincoln, which is um, a linchpin of like the North Middle East part of England. Oh, okay. So Louis basically se- securing all of the South and East of England. Yeah. John's got the Northwest. Okay. However, Louis's policy of being nice and merciful to everyone was getting on the nerves of his French lords and knights who'd come with him. So they'd they come in, looty. yeah. They'd come looty in expecting booty. some loot, expecting some good battles, carve out. And new they're not getting that, and they're going, "What the f are we yeah. even doing?" Well, they wanted to sort of carve out their own territories, just like the Normans had done in their Norman conquest. Um, yeah, but now they were just sitting around doing nothing, and because Louis had had to keep restless. the English lords on side, there was only yeah. so much reward he could promise the French. True. But, you know, Louis holding out that Pope Innocent III will send word saying he's not excommunicated. Yeah. And that the coronation can go ahead. Crossing Um, his fingers. Yeah. And then as the established king of England, he could disband his army and and properly reward everyone. Mm. Um, Then a messenger arrives. Pope Innocent III. Excommunicated? Nope. Dead. Can you guess what happened to... Yep, he's dead. (laughs) And now there's going to be a papal election, which God knows how long that's going to take. <laughs> um, and, you know, who knows who the new Pope is and what he's eventually going True. to decide. Nobody he, knows. You butter up. 
to when yeah. you don't know who to butter up to. Exactly. It's hard to butter up anyone where they're all locked in the in the, the people palace, being forced true, to true. vote for, for, for weeks on end. Um, mm. Meanwhile, as summer turned to autumn, so getting getting out of the, the warring season, uh, John had finally gone on the offensive and started taking back his territories mm. while Louis was tied down in the siege of Dover, which was lasting yeah. a lot longer than expected, uh, despite yeah, Louis doing everything he could to speed it up from uh, blockading the harbour with his ships to raining stones on the castle with his siege weapons. Damn. That's a really good castle. It, it, Dover is an impressive castle if you ever get, if you ever get around to it. Um, the defender, Hugh, Hubert de Berg, was one of John's uh, chief supporters. Um, mm. And uh, John has a, a, a few supporters, but the supporters that he does yeah. have are quite good. <laughs> so he's got good. Hubert de Berg, and he's also got uh, William Marshall, who mm. is with John currently, and he's, he's a very impressive mm. yeah. uh, military leader. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Hubert de Berg was not going to give up Dover very easily. Um, yeah. He sent out parties of men to kill Louis's men in the night and raid his camps. Oh. Oh. And then the deserting began. Um, oh. The mercenaries were the first to go, of course, as Louis of started course. failing to make his payments. But however, things started looking up for Louis when reinforcements arrived from Brittany, uh, hmm. led by Robert II of Dreux's sons, Thomas and Peter. Uh, Peter, at this point, had married the Duchess of Brittany. Um, mm. uh, so Brittany's being folded into the Capetian dynasty mm. a little bit. Yeah. Um, also the King of Scotland, Alexander the oh, second also arrived in Dover, um, mm. having marched all the way down <laughs> yeah, from Scotland damn. to the Southern tip of England, um, which is an incredible feat, uh, that, yeah, it uh, is. I think Rex Factor, I believe, gave Alexander II a few good points for that. However, Dover remained in a state of stalemate, and uh, mm. Louis eventually had to make a truce and retreat on the 14th of October after nearly three months of sieging. Mm. So in a mm. few days. Yes. <laughs> so, but good news, uh, just a week later, King John of England dies of dysentery Ooh, in of Nottinghamshire. Course. Uh, at the castle of Newark. Interestingly, he dies in, in Nottinghamshire. I didn't know that before researching this. Yeah. Robin Hood's hmm. right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Being like, yeehaw, you dead. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Mother's dead. Uh, <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead now. I broke Mother's mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd think this would be great news for Louis. John's dead. Yeah. The enemy is dead. However, Ew. it actually spelled the end of his invasion. Ah, uh, because everyone else is now going, hee hee hee. Well, Louis sent word to Hubert de Berg in Dover. He said, you know, your king's dead. Yeah. I'm king now. Um, yeah. You know, he pulls the, a... He, yeah. Yeah, he pulls a, a Captain Phillips. Where he, comes on, he comes on the ship and he's like, I am captain now. Um... To which Hubert replied, um, no, you aren't the heir. Aren't you French people, like, really into this, like, primogeniture thing? The kingdom obviously yeah. goes to John's son, Henry III. Duh. Yeah. So King Henry III of England, John's nine-year-old son, was immediately crowned by Cardinal oh, Bicchieri in Gloucester. Hmm. Apparently they don't need the Archbishop of Canterbury if they've got a cardinal. And, no. uh... 
uh, and they don't even need London. They did this in Gloucester. Yeah, the Dunedin versus. <laughs> Uh, which is near Wales, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. And uh, Henry's regent uh, would be none other than the most respected and decorated knight in the realm, the Earl of Pembroke, William Marshall. Mm-hmm. So Marshall immediately makes peace with the barons, and only three weeks after, after John's death, he has little Henry sign a revised version of the Magna Carta. Mm-hmm. To make matters worse... Uh, word soon arrives from the new Pope, Honorius III, announcing his wholehearted support of Henry III and recognizing the coronation in Gloucester as a legit one, legit. despite oh, the Archbishop okay. of Canterbury's continued absence. Mm. Meanwhile, it turns out many of the lords in England would far prefer a puppet boy king than yeah, a French could guy. Manipulate and control. Yeah. Not um, one that has his own thoughts. And you know. Louis had gone from being compared to John, worst king ever, to now mm. fighting against a little boy, which is seems like bad yeah. form. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so you think this would be would be checkmate for Louis? What do you think Louis Louis does? He's like, nah, I'm not going down without a fight. Well, he does go home. Oh, but he's, king. he he shakes his fist and he's like, I'll be back with reinforcements. <laughs> Does he? So yeah, he'd seen that support was starting to melt away. His lords had started to cede his hard-won castles to William Marshall. And yeah. so Louis, he he quickly celebrated Christmas in England before returning to France. So Louis's back in France. Uh, Philip, once again, does not prevent Louis from trying to reassemble his forces in Mount hmm. Apollo invasion. Uh, hmm. But he refuses to meet Louis at all in person. Hmm. Uh, gives him a very cold reception. Because... Oh. Um, the king refuses to be seen with a prince who had been excommunicated. <laughs> mm. Louis hadn't come so far with England just to give up, though. In the spring, yeah. he returned with his reinforcements, though his second rallying cry for invasion had not been as impactful as the first one. Yeah. And much fewer men answered the call. Because um, as we said, the optics, they're not quite as good now that they're against yeah. a little it's boy. A little boy. On top of everything else, that damn Cardinal uh, Bicchieri mm. had gone a step further from excommunicating Louis. He'd now declared the war against him was a crusade. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because it was against God's will for Louis to become king of England. And oh. Louis resumed the siege of Dover uh, while sending another force up to retake Lincoln. Um, which, by the way, was under the command of Nicola de la Haye, an old woman whom John had appointed Sheriff of Lincolnshire. So that's interesting. Um, There in Lincoln, the French slash rebel English army uh, met Mm. the full force of William Marshall's army and the ensuing battle, uh, uh, in the ensuing battle, several of Louis's generals were taken prisoner. Oh, that's not good. But Louis, he still didn't give up. (laughs) In fact, he he burned his ships in Dover Harbour and um, so that the English wouldn't take them. And, uh, he marched to London again, where he met up with the defeated army from Lincoln. Meanwhile, Princess Blanche, his supported wife, had managed to muster some reinforcements back in France. Blanche, Blanche had actually managed to do the impossible and convince King Philip to lend money to his son. Damn. So the- Must have really liked his daughter-in-law. Yeah. According to a very dubious source called the Minstrel of Rams, uh, Blanche uh, convinced her father-in-law to lend support by threatening to pawn her sons for money to raise troops. 
like, well, I got all these sons. I'll send, I'll sell them into slavery if you don't give me the money. Um, He's like, not my grandbabies. But yeah, more likely Philip just had a bit of a soft spot for for Blanche. Um, yeah, he wasn't as hard on He's her. Like, as he she's was the good daughter-in-law. She's a fertile myrtle. She can have whatever she yeah. wants. Um, however, these reinforcements didn't make it to England. Sadly, on the way, Hubert de Burgh mm. intercepted them with the English fleet. Oh. Damn Hubert! Uh, mm. And the French ships were captured, and their generals were imprisoned once again Ooh. in Dover. Mm. So Blanche's reinforcements had been Louis's last hope for victory in England, and it was finally time to sue for peace. Yeah, but Louis got a good deal out of it. He oh. uh, he met with William Marshall and Hubert de Burgh at the Treaty of Lambeth, yeah. and uh, in return for vowing to never invade England again and give up his claim to the throne, uh, mm. Louis got all of his prisoners back. Uh, he mm. was allowed to return home safely. He got his excommunication mm. lifted, um, and he was given a huge payout of 10,000 marks of silver. Woo! Yeah. So he hasn't managed to defeat England, but he's managed to bankrupt them, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, they, it's weird, because they're, like, strong in some aspects, like England are holding off against him, but then they gave him all that. Hmm. Maybe they knew that eventually if it kept, like, continued and kind of thing, like, it would cost Philip them more. decided to give him more support too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So give him some good little benefits. That way he goes happy and he's not doesn't go away disgruntled, being like, mm, maybe I will come back. At the end of the day, peace is cheaper than war. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that he was reconciled, uh, now that Louis was reconciled with the church, um, Philip did agree to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But again, very cold reception. Uh, probably mm. Philip made some kind of snide remark about how he could have yeah. defeated William Marshall. Probably. Um, but there was little time for Louis to rest between campaigns because in 1218, after two to three years of focusing on England, Louis was sent south once again to the Albigensian Crusade, which is still going. Uh. It's a decade in at this point. Oh, there must have been a lot of them. Simon de Montfort was besieging Toulouse again because he'd managed to lose it. Um, this time with little success. Well, I better go help him. Yes, yeah, so Louis also did a bit of war crimes on the way down. He um, instigated a huge massacre of the city mm-hmm. of Marmont uh, on the way down from Paris uh, because it was, you know, full of Cathars. And Louis spent a year down south, but perhaps uh, with his confidence shot after the loss of England, he was mm-hmm. unable to turn the tide of the war and he returned to Paris the following year. Mm. He's such a promise and he's going downhill now. Yeah, also not great for Louis's mental state. Uh, on the 30th of June, 1218, his firstborn son, Philip, dies. Aww. Age eight. Aww. And uh, this also comes after Philip's two younger brothers, Alfonso and John, both died in infancy. Oh. So that's, that's within, a, within a year, that's three sons gone. Oh, God. Um, However, he and Brant Blanche have been prolific, as I said. And uh, at yeah. the time of Philip's uh, death, uh, uh, little Philip's death, um, they also had two extra sons with a third on the way. Mm. So we'll get into it and be on the throne. But, you know, mm. fertile myrtles. 
And then not much happens for Louis over the next three years or so, um, other than preparing for his father to die. Uh, and having which, babies. And having babies, which Philip Augustus finally does die um, on the 14th of July, 1223. Mm-hmm. So Louis is then, of course, crowned king. First, first, crowning, first crowning after the death of the previous king that we've had in a long time. Woo! How old is he now? What, early 30s? Mid-30s? Mid-30s, yeah. Louis can't invade England again. That ship has sailed and nobody's going to follow him there again. But he can continue his father's good work of chipping away at the Angevin lands in France. Woo! Which which all are, you know, they're all his kingdom anyway, so he can do that. Yeah, he's just taking it back. So in summer 1224, Louis seizes Poitou after a three-week siege of La Rochelle, um, which is England's main port city in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't a whole lot that young Henry III of England can do about it. Uh, mm-hmm. although at this point you should be asking, I thought we already had Poitou, um, which is more in the north of the, of the Angevin lands. Something I neglected to mention, uh, was that in 1205, shortly after Philip had done his big sweep to gobble up John's lands, yeah. um, he appointed Amory, the Viscount of Tuar, to govern Poitou in the king's name because Philip mm. you know, had loads of these new territories to sort out. Yeah. Uh, Amory, however, defected over to John a year later. Oh. And there were a couple attempts to get Poitou back, but it wasn't until nearly 20 years later during Louis VIII's reign, Louis finally got a firm hold over Poitou, mm-hmm. um, the home region of Eleanor of Aquitaine's family. And Poitou is going to be firmly in, in French control until the Hundred Years' War. So that's Hmm. good. And Louis did this with the cooperation of many of the local lords, including the Lusignan family, uh, whose current uh, patriarch, Hugh X, had managed to marry John's widow, uh, Isabella of Angoulême, uh, who was the one that John had stolen from his father, Hugh IX. (laughs) It's a bit of a weird situation. He stepmother. No, she wasn't his stepmother uh, uh, officially. She was betrothed Ex- to his father oh, right. long before he was born. So his um, father's around, ex- yeah, when ex- he was fiance. His mm. father's ex fiance. He he marries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's weird. Weird, but uh, yeah. So so Poitou, it's about it's about the furthest Louis is willing to expand along the southwestern coast. He's like, yeah, you can keep mm-hmm. that little bit of Aquitaine and Gascony. That's fine. Um, I don't need it. I don't care for it. Yeah. Because uh, Pope Honorius is still breathing down Louis' neck, so he can't go too hard on England. Um, and it also kind of wasn't wasn't worth the effort, because those southern yeah. lords are a bit rebellious anyway. Yeah, um, so he's like, eh, they, the English can deal with them. <laughs> yeah. And England still owed homage to the King of France for Gascony. So that's all fine and dandy. The, the king's oh. territories there are still vassal to France. Oh. Um, as we've seen. So beyond- we need to think that England, te- King of England, was technically a vassal to Yes, France, but, but not only, in his ca- of king, only in his capacity of as Duke of Aquitaine at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so Poitou and especially La Rochelle, the big port city, were a huge asset for France. Um, La Rochelle is the biggest port city on the Atlantic at this time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's basically where all of that southern French wine is being sold in exchange for textiles yum, yum, yum. from Flanders, uh, metal from England, and wool from Spain. Um mm. 
And there was even a substantial number of Irish merchants uh, in the city. That's interesting. Um, Then in 1225, uh, Louis set off on another campaign, this time in Flanders, to put down a rebellion that had thrown the country into chaos. Um, Mm. And uh, that's a bit of a complicated situation (laughs) that we Mm. may possibly get into if we ever do Patreon episode about Flanders, which may be a plan eventually we might have to yeah. do margaret the black who we encountered uh, at one point in our in our noble houses episode uh, yes I remember um we didn't get into much detail on her so i feel like maybe she we should an episode yeah but yeah. she's hanging about at this time she's not the, she's not yet the the countess of flanders but it, it's it's a chaotic period <laughs> which will eventually mm-hmm. lead to her being countess of flanders um, so the next order of business, we, we've got to finally bring an end to the Albigensian Crusade. And, and we're going to do that by bringing down the full force of the French army this time, mm-hmm. um, as well as a good deal of financial backing from the church. So Louis just wants to nip this in the bud, force the Catholic yeah. victory and impose the king's will in the southeastern reaches of France. So he gathers together an army of 50,000 men. Whoa. Yes, so that's 10 times what he brought to England. And he also made Simon de Montfort's uh, eldest son, Amory de Montfort, cede the title Count of Toulouse to him. So the king mm. is now the Count of Toulouse. Yeah. And in exchange, Amory would be made a count back in northern France. So he becomes the oh. Count uh, of Montfort. And uh, Amory's uh, younger brother, meanwhile, the junior Simon de Montfort, went to England mm-hmm where he became the Earl of mm-hmm. Leicester and eventually became the leader of the Second Baron's War against Henry III. How did he get that, the Earl? like They already were the Earls of Leicester. They were one of these lords that kind of went over oh, hip- in, oh. in the Norman Conquest um, oh, okay. or shortly after the Norman Conquest. And oh, okay. so they kind of had lands in, they had a foot in both oh, okay, okay. kingdoms. Yeah, yeah. Both pies. Yeah. So I think Simon de Montfort's actually like the fifth Earl of Leicester or something. And uh, so Louis, Louis got this big show of force happening down in the south of France. Mm. And this proved very effective as settlement after settlement, including Cacassonne and Marseille, uh, surrendered to Louis. However, he encountered a big challenge when the far southeastern castle of Avignon refused to open its gates and hunkered down for a mm. siege that would not be kind on Louis' forces. Mm. Uh Disease rippled throughout the camp. Mm, of course. Um, uh, one, oh, I meant to say disease ripped through the camp, but rippled also works. Rippled, same thing. <laughs> uh, one chronicler blames uh, large black flies for spreading disease. Um, but rats. more likely this was just a classic case of dysentery. Um, mm. Disgusting, unsanitary drinking water mingled with uh. poo water from soldiers, uh. attracting flies and dysentery. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is, yeah, is the yeah, correct yeah. sentiment. Um, also, one of the key commanders, the Flemish Count of Saint-Paul, uh, was squished by a stone hurled from a catapult uh, from Avignon. <laughs> oh! While another commander, Louis' cousin, Tybalt IV of Champagne, uh, abandoned the campaign and pulled his troops oh. out mid-siege. Of course a Tybalt would do that. Of course a, a, a bloody Blois did that. Um, well, just someone with the name Tybalt. Yeah. yeah. All the Tybalts are from the House of Blois. It, it's, a, it's a trend. Um, Avignon did surrender eventually after about three months. Um, 
And now the final thing on Louis' to-do list was to besiege Toulouse for the third time. (laughs) But uh, his forces were too depleted to even contemplate such an ordeal. Damn, Um, I wonder how many he lost then. He, he quite a, quite a number. Um, I don't have the exact number, but it was it was they were definitely depleted and and tired. And it's September, so winter's coming soon. So yeah, the warring season's war. over. It's time for them to go home. I love how there's warring seasons. Yeah, well, back in the day, there were warring seasons. <laughs> there's rabbit season, duck season, war season. War season. Uh, <laughs> so so Louis decides to head home to Paris, leaving behind the Albigensian Crusade. For what he does not realize is the very last time. Oh. Because just like King John before him, he is not immune from the disease that is plaguing his men. Oh, no. Louis catches dysentery, uh, leading to both usual diarrhea and a violent fever. And while resting at the castle of Montpensier in Auvergne, about a third of the way home to Paris... Louis VIII oh. dies on the 8th of November, 1226, at the age of 39. Oh, his poor wife. Mm-hmm. So New- news of his death travels quickly to Queen Blanche in Paris, oh. who at the time was pregnant with Louis' 13th child. Oh. And it now falls on her to ensure that there's a smooth transition of power to her 12-year-old son, now Louis oh. IX. Oh. Yes. By the way, this will be the seventh time in a row that the Capetians have managed to smoothly pass the crown from a father to a son. True, true, true. Which is no mean feat in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Uh, so basically from Hugh Capet onward, we've had a definite male heir every time. Yeah. So that's impressive. Um, it is. But that is a story for, for next episode, which will be episode 37.5, Blanche of Castile because she is the queen regent of France now Um, and I know many of our listeners are very excited about this queen regent because she is quite impressive Uh, and I'm just like it's a woman let's just say she's kind of uh, I mean she's the the granddaughter of Eleanor of Aquitaine and she's kind of almost Eleanor 2.0 in many ways more successful than Eleanor so we'll get to her um so that is the life of Louis VIII. Okay. And now it's time to get into rating him. So I'll yeah. send you the Enchanté images. Mm-hmm. Enchanté. Here is the official portrait of Louis the Lion. Hmm. As you can see, it's a little bit old and damaged. Uh, I was going to say he looks old than his age that he died at. <laughs> Does he? I, I think he looks... Late thirty, he looks around forty-ish. I think he looks, uh, he looks like he died later. Like he's got lines, but he doesn't have wrinkles. I don't think. I think the sharpness, like especially that nose, just makes him. Mm, seem he's a got lot some older. sharp features. Yeah, um, so just adds age to him. Yes. And what else has he got? Describe this man. He's got a lovely, lovely robe. Mm-hmm. I really like that fur. Probably, what's it called? What's that fur they always ermine. use? Yeah, ermine. ermine. It's like a type of yeah. ferret. <laughs> trying to make a ferret. It's very costly, though, the, the ermine fur, which is why yeah. royals wear it, because you have to stitch all of these ermines together Little. to make it. Yeah. 
have you got each, ermines in there? So pretty small. Because each black spot, uh, ermines only have one black spot each. Oh. So for every black spot is a different ermine. <laughs> oh. It's all stitched together. I believe that's it. Listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but. Can you get ermines as pets? Because I know you can have ferret. Oh yeah, I'm sure you can, but I think they're very rare. They may even be extinct. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I think, I I think they're quite sure. rare. I was like, have I even seen? Hence the yeah, expense um, of of the fur. Yeah. Well, he has a sword. Mm-hmm. And I think underneath is that meant to be chain mail? Under? I can't really tell. It looks just a robe and a. It's like a so he yeah he he's got a he's clearly got a chainmail shirt on because you can see the sleeve. Yeah. And he's got yeah. a, a surcoat over the chain mail. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I could sing the bell. Um, which is sort of and a goldy nice, color. Yeah. It's got a nice crown. You've, yeah, he's got a I crown. I know it's meant to be what chain mail covering the head. No, I think it's like a little veil so. thing he's got. <laughs> he's being very modest. He's <laughs> 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 a little <Chain> veil. <laughs> yeah. That's. It's that like he couldn't make up his mind. He's like, do I want to betray his badly more or it can't? Mm. Uh, uh, I'll grab the veil and the sword. That'll give me first. That. First king we've ever had who has a, like a sky behind him. Interesting. Yeah. Usually they're just in like a dark room. <laughs> True. Um, but he's got like a cloudy gray sky. Hmm. Definitely, this is when he's in England. Because it's yeah, like, sad to say. <laughs> you don't get skies like that in France. <laughs> At least not in the in the, in the in the war season in the summer. <laughs> yeah. So then I've got a lovely uh, picture of him. I, I didn't mention this, but he's crowned alongside his wife, Blanche of Castile. Aww. And this is a lovely uh, painting by um, Jean Fouquet. Yeah, I really like it. We're going to see a lot more paintings She's from so Jean pretty. Fouquet in future generations. But um, yeah, like we've got. It. Flirtily's everywhere. They're both like kneeling down, and there's the crown here mm-hmm. and her. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. And we've got a couple depictions of the siege of Avignon, actually. Um, mm. So we've got one of Louis receiving the surrender of Avignon, mm. oh, where his yeah. horse is bigger than the castle, uh, mm, as you do, and that's from the Grand Chronicle of France. And we've got one, which is actually a sort of sequential kind of one. Um, mm-hmm. It's on the on the left is taking the castle of Avignon. Then on in mm-hmm. the middle is Louis dying at Montpensier, and mm-hmm. then on the right is Louis the Ninth getting crowned. Oh yeah! So there's three buildings, and there's a yeah. different event happening in each. Because they're all right next to each other. <laughs> yeah, they're all right next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, just go straight to the battle, good eye, get crowned. Mm. I do love that detail of, of the soldiers yeah. uh, climbing the walls. and Yeah, and even having like the arrows and the kind of cat. No, it's just giant. That person just has a really big mm. arrow, not a catapult. I love the little window where you can arm. see into the castle. You can see the king dying. Uh, yeah, and you see the people around his bed. And then you see a little detail of the crowning. I like it. Little miniatures. Did you ever read those like those books as a kid that was like they were like history books but they showed you like cross sections of buildings oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah and they yeah. showed you like daily life I, in, in one of my art teachers like when Egypt i was or, younger he painted something like that like a giant painting like fully detailed literally realistic of like oh, a wow. cross section like that and then it ended up being in one of like the school textbooks mm. like a history textbook 
oh, that's that cool. painting that he did because it was that good. I remember this one the author detail. that makes all of them. Stephen Beastie. I don't remember the authors. Um, no, I remember the author because his name was all over all of these books. Um, yeah. And, and I just poured over these books because they were so cool. They were so. It was like, almost like a Where's Wally, where like you're yeah, you're, I you're, you're, you're looking around them and yeah, you're finding and you're, you're the... finding different funny little details. But while you're doing yeah. it, you're learning history. So yeah. that was like my Woo! first big Combo. like sort of history books that I read. Um, Did you a, have the, the Egyptian learner. one? That golden uh, Egyptian yep, I had, one? I have. I yeah. still actually in my parents' house, there's an Egyptian one. Um, although I think I might have given that away to the local primary school. I had, yes, I had an Egyptian one I, at the school library. I, there was like a castle one. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. That's what this reminds me of. <laughs> That's what this yeah. image reminds me of. So the epithet, uh, Louis is called the lion. Also That's sometimes called the lion heart. Um, possibly a reference to the fact that he's trying to take over England, which is, of course, symbolized by a lion. And mm. um, he was dubbed this by Nicholas of Bray, um, who wrote an epic poem called Gesta Ludovici Octavi. The deeds of Louis VIII. Hmm. So he was he was he was dubbed this for his courage and also his chivalry, um, which I think we can say mm. was better than the actual Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> hmm. well. More courageous and chivalrous than him. Yeah. Um. Serves it more stupid Richard. But you know, doesn't doesn't get as much glory in the in the long term narrative, I guess, because sadly yeah. just didn't last long enough. Um, so that is Enchanté. He just died from dysentery. He didn't be like Richard, everybody asked for death. Well, Richard, yeah, Richard died from a. a, Yeah, he was basically like, oh, they're not going to shoot me. Oh, God. Richard Richard died from gangrene, but um, they're all dying from stupid violence Um, (laughs) at the end of the day. Poor horses. so what would we like to give for Enchanté for this? Well, you know, a few points of the lion. We're starting to get some good imagery. Next reign, Louis yes. IX's reign, we're going to have a burst of... of Woo! Um, ...that are actually made during the time. So that's... Yes. ...major, majorly good. But for Louis VIII, we don't have a lot of major depictions. Mm-hmm. I like that he got um, crowned with his wife. When's the last time that happened? Yeah, that is nice. Um, Ever? Well, we've had a, a lot of separate queen's coronations that are separate from the king's yeah. coronation. But not um, co-coronation. Actually, not, not actually not true. Louis the, Louis the Seventh and Eleanor of Aquitaine were, cl- were crowned together. Mm. That's, only, that's only a mm. generation off. So, yeah, it, it, it's happened. We just haven't had a, a big, nice painting of it. I suppose you just forget about that one too because then marriage ended in failure while this one was seemed to be quite long. Yeah, people are wanting to uh, memorialise that as much. Uh, whereas uh, Blanche and Louis have a very successful marriage. So if you had to ballpark the, the Enchanté score. I guess six. Oh, this time I've written my my predictive scores. Um, oh. And, but I, 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 will, I will ask you for yours first. But I wrote six. So. Yeah. Do we want to go with that? I said, yeah. I said six. Okay. Yeah. So that and is then you 12... predicted what scores I'll give. No, no, no. I, I'm predicting my score. Like, I've already done my scores. Oh. 
Oh. I'll, I'm open to changing them based on things you may argue. But um, I just wrote them down because I was like, that'd be interesting. Uh, <laughs> so that is a 12 for Enchante. Moving okay. on to On Guard. On Guard. So his military career, we've got the mm. Anglo-French War at the very start, where he forced John to retreat from France. Uh, he invaded England at, at a severe disadvantage and managed to take over half the country. Um, okay, but ended good. up having to return after a long stalemate and John's death. Um, Not quite his fault there. It's funny yeah. you think John's death would have helped, but no, it didn't. Nah, because they lost the punching bag. Uh, then he uh, consolidated his power in western France by retaking Poitou during his reign Um, he joined the Albigensian Crusade three times uh, twice before Mm -hmm. his reign and once during his reign Uh, the last campaign uh, on the Albigensian Crusade made significant more more progress than either the other expeditions and the crusade is still going when he dies, but it but it uh, ends in about three years. Pittering out down. Pittering yeah. Out. Simmering down, yeah. It's really impressive that I'll have to spoil how long he reigns for. Um but but okay. uh can you can you guess how long he reigns for? Like actually? ten years? Less. Oh like eight? Less. Seven. Less. Three. Three. Three Damn. years. But during that time, he went on four separate campaigns. Damn. So the Albigensian Crusade uh, improved influence in the southeast, and this was mostly done thanks to Louis' presence. Um, The Cathars were well and truly sort of on the run, and they were being Mm. driven underground. Um, And as I said, in about another three years, the south would finally be restored to order, whatever that means. Um, (laughs) And the capture of Poitou, especially La Rochelle, or loads of wealth to France. So future generations will owe a lot to Louis VIII's military efforts. True. Louis is going to be a tricky one to score because his reign yeah, is so, so short. It's really successful. Do we count the England? Can we count him when he was a prince? Yeah, yeah. We can count the English campaigning. Yeah. Okay, good. We've done that before. Okay. Um, so Philip II had obviously laid a really good foundation for Louis. Um, mm. France is more powerful than it's ever been. Uh, mm. so the momentum of France expanding and the king's power growing had slowed down a bit since the great victory mm. of Bouvines because it was Philip just kind mm. of consolidating what he's what he'd gotten. Mm-hmm. But with this young, vigorous King Louis on the throne and England still in disarray during Henry III's regency, Louis followed up his father's reign really well. Uh, mm. He made Poitou d- definitively part of France and... Uh, and so so the king now controls the entire Loire Valley, I should add. Hmm. Um, That's nice. And, um, yeah, he basically keeps the ball rolling. And hmm. there is going to be some backlash to the king's increasing power now that Louis IX is on the throne and he's a boy. And that's something hmm. that Blanche of Castile hmm. is going to have to deal with. But that kind of would have happened no matter what, I think. Yeah. Um, there's nothing Louis VIII could have really done to stop that backlash was, from happening. Yeah. It's not like he can decide when to die. Yeah. Um, in particular, the Normans were starting to grumble about wanting to be under Plantagenet rule again. Um, mm. Because by this point, the uh, Normandy has been under under the king's rule for about 15 to 20 years. Um, 
That being said, uh, Plantagenet rules that way they can really do whatever they want because the Plantagenets are across the sea. Um. Well, no, I mean, I mean, Henry II spent most of his reign in France, and and John was pretty much half and half. Um, Seriously, what the hell yeah, are they yeah. counted as kings of England for? Well, they were ba- they were buried in Anjou. All of these kings until John. Yeah, exactly. Because John lost Anjou. <laughs> Uh, so they were as much dukes in France as they were kings in England, um, if not more. So the Normans, yeah. So the Normans were very much in the camp of we want to be ruled by Normans, actually, not French. That's the Louis the Ninth problem. That's Louis the Ninth problem. But yeah, Louis's military efforts outside of Poitou had more mixed results. Mm. Uh, the England thing, the the not taking mm. over England, I kind of put that down to bad luck, because uh, mm. Louis did pretty much everything right in the war, and he, yeah. and he did so well considering if, what. I think if John had lived a few start. more years, he probably would have got it. Maybe he would have, but he, he, there's all, he's also got the excommunication to contend with. So yeah, who true. knows if That's he, he'd actually is. been able to pull through? Yeah. But he. He didn't give up. He he did really well. He came mm. back with reinforcements again, mm. and uh, he spent a couple years in England. And he did to... get a good deal in the end. And he got a really good deal in the end. Sure, That's he true. didn't get England, but he did basically bankrupt England. Yeah. <laughs> and despite having so many sons, Louis made sure to um, it deeply entrench the idea of primogeniture into law. Mm. Uh, yeah. Firstborn inherits everything, no matter how many brothers he has. Um, okay. Oh, but that being that being said, Louis was very generous when it came to handing out grants of land, which are called appanages, uh, to both his sons and his Capetian cousins. So everyone's hmm. kept happy. And yeah, that's good. So an appanage, uh, appanage, um, this is now a, a term that we might be hearing a, a bit hmm. more frequently, is basically when the king gives you land, it's still considered royal, Kind of, yeah. but you are now the duke of that whatever that is. So, if you think yeah. about it in English terms, yeah, Duke of York, for example, yeah, yeah. is an appanage, yeah, that title, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although we won't talk about who the Duke of York is. Um, so, uh, should have done Prince of Wales. Prince Prince of Wales is a bit more complicated. I don't think it's quite. Should done Duke but, of Cambridge then. Um, so I didn't use that example, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this is this is a huge shift. Um, it's obviously been going for a while. We've had primogeniture-ish for a little while, but Louis's like, nah, we're making it the law. That yeah, yeah, yeah putting it's it in line the of line. succession straight down. You can't change it. Yeah, um, no questions, no being like, oh, no, like, mm, uh, yeah, straight. So okay. That will prevent a lot of war. Prevent a lot of war. So as long as there's as long as there's a a, a, a son or a brother, it'll be very clear, and that that will be mm. the case for quite a while. Mm. Um, when we get to whether daughters should inherit, that is a different question. But it is a hundred oh. years down the line. Uh, <laughs> also, another tidbit for on guard at one point in twelve seventeen, when uh, Blanche's younger brother Henry died, there was a chance that Louis might have gone to Castile to claim mm. the crown in her name. Um, yeah. 
but his father decided to send him back to the Albigensian crusade instead. Um, also, Blanche was the third daughter, so it was like a uh, mm, bit yeah. dubious claim. Um, mm. But yeah, Blanche is a big asset to Louis. Uh, he was huge help to Louis throughout his pre-reign and his reign. Helped him gain power from his father. You know, helped him raise troops. Like, she was instrumental in, in all of that. Yeah. Whilst being pregnant most of the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um... Yeah, that's that's on guard. What do we want to give him? It feels like I can't give him too high. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Or seven. Six or seven. I The one I've written down is 7.5. Because I think he really keeps the momentum going in a really good way. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't fall flat like it like it mm. does so many times when we're I following know. like I just don't a, feel there's any really exact decisive like win almost. Mm. It's a lot of muddiness, like you know. Yeah. I was very impressed by the invasion of England, I have to say. Yeah, like um, I was impressed by that, but I'm like in the end. But at the same time lost. it's like Yeah. But you could argue that his his diplomatic victories in the end are, are just oh yeah, order. they're pretty good. Yeah, 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 they're good. I'm gonna stick with seven point five, but you can stick with six point five. I'm sticking with six point five. So that is a fourteen for on guard. Not doing bad. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to voulez-vous. Voulez-vous. Character wise, in terms of how he was as a person, Louis gets nothing but glowing reviews from everyone. Yeah, he seems like a nice chap. With the exception of Cardinal Bicchieri the guy who yeah. excommunicated him, who basically calls him the devil and argues for a crusade against him. Uh, mm. But yeah. Uh, That's just one guy. Yes. Uh, I everyone like you. Yes. So historian Catherine Hanley calls Louis honest, just, moral, a man of his word, all the things which John wasn't. <laughs> um, also in contrast uh, to in his character to his father, Louis seems to have been far more scrupulous, often to a fault. If you remember, Philip liked to sort of bend the rules, bend morality a oh, bit. Yeah. He, he yeah, loved a bit of skull, skullduggery and intrigue. Louis, mm. not as into that. Louis is very honest, very straightforward, very chivalrous. Yeah, No double-crossing. Yeah. When he's invading England, he's very overly merciful um, to the English when, he, when, he t- when he's taking them over, to the, to the annoyance of his French lords. But for yeah. voulez-vous, very good. Yeah. Um, like, I feels like if he had become English king, he would have, they would have really liked him. Yeah, exactly. He's thinking, he's kind of thinking long term, I guess. Yeah. Well, the uh, Frenchmen were actually just thinking immediate gains. Yeah. He basically, his, his tactic was just like, I'm going to do the opposite of John. <laughs> Whatever John does, it I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> it was working. So for John died and he was like, damn it, I have to stay alive. Yes. So now, now, so that's the that's the positive stuff in Louis's character. Um, Negative. Unfortunately, it's really just the character stuff that is the positive. He doesn't. He isn't on the throne long enough to enact great reforms or whatever. True. Um, though his father you know, didn't he, give him the power for that. No, but but he does uh, keep the ball rolling, keep this flourishing mm. of culture and everything going. Um, True. Keeps it ticking along. In those three years. But yeah, now we have to go to the negatives. So if we remember from last episode, Philip II's regime was extremely anti-Semitic at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, basically, he became king, immediately expelled the Jews from Paris. Yeah. Um, however, Philip did soften over time as he realized he needed yeah. Jewish people yeah. for money lending. 
Um, yeah. And he allowed them back in Paris in the 1190s after expelling them 10 years earlier. Um, yeah. Well, Louis uh, was having none of this mm. leniency towards the Jews and mm. he renewed the policy of persecution. Mm. Um, so again, like his father, one of the first things he did as king in 1223 was impose harsh restrictions on the Jews and insist that his gov- government officials no longer needed to record Jewish debts as valid. Mm. If, a, if a Jewish moneylender comes around saying, where's, where's my money? My money. Person, it doesn't matter. Uh, the person could just rip off the doc- up the documents and the government okay. won't have kept records of that document. So there's no way for, for this Jewish person to, to prove the that they are owed this money. That they, yeah. Which is... Mm. Really bad. A real bummer. Um, however, like his father... Louis found that the initial influx of money that resulted in in this uh, these restrictions quickly dried up, and uh, Louis was forced to reverse his decision uh, two years of later. Course. So within this three year reign, he's 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 imposing sanctions on the Jews and then having to reverse them just within this three years. Pretty quickly, probably quicker than his father. Yeah, much quicker than his father actually. Um, so then we've got the Albigensian Crusades, which are also mm. not great. Though they, 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 it was good for on guard. It's not good here. Yeah, we've obviously got you know we've got the massacres and we've got the overall persecution mm. of Cathars. Not nice. So apart from his ramping up of persecution, Louis keeps most of his father's effective policies in place. Although to be honest, he doesn't have a lot of time to do much mm. good or much He's damage. No time. Um, but we can see even in England where he's trying to establish his rule. He was very interested mm. in administration, figuring out yeah. how this is going to work, um, thinking long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by all ind- indications, if Louis had, had had a long reign, it would have been just as effective, if not more effective yeah. than his dad's. Um, that will be a what if. To be honest, I think we should score him fairly similarly to Philip. Um Maybe slightly lower because he doesn't instigate yeah. any great reforms. Uh, he doesn't have time. Yeah. But again, maybe he gets bumped up again because he is a better character than Philip. True. What did he, we give Philip? Uh, you gave him a 7.5 and I gave him an 8 for Philippe. Damn. Okay, that's nice. He basically was perfect except for the persecution. Um, which I think you can also kind of say for Louis, although I think he also loses a point for no great reforms. Yeah. Um, I was going to go 6.5 for Louis. Yeah, I think... I see, I've written 7, so my voice is slightly higher. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very rare that I score higher than you, I feel. So that is a 13.5 for Louis. Moving on to your favourite round. Yay! Ooh la la! So, despite being semi-excommunicated, Louis seemed to have been a man of impeccable morals, unfortunately. Uh, uh, loving husband, there's stuff that There's stuff that we would see as horrible, which is the persecution the burning. of the Jewish people in the Catholic. Back in the, the burning, those the days, that was normal. All that stuff. That's, for us, that's Norm. scandly. Um, for them, that's norms. But yeah, that's, yeah, business as usual. Um, he's nowhere near as scandalous a figure as his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he continues the Capetian trend of being fully monogamous, um, more or less. Uh, 
Blanche is pregnant almost constantly throughout their 20s and 30s. And there's no evidence of any illegitimate children for Louis. Mm. His dad had one. He was a good seed. The seed is strong. (laughs) Which is Um, great for what I want in a husband, but for scandal in this podcast, no. He'll make up those points in in Beyond Throne, don't worry. Yeah. Mm. Um, So what do we want to give him for Ulala? Can we even give him anything? He's like a piece of paper. I would give him like a one for the persecutions. Yeah, I'll give him one half a point for the persecutions. Because you can see it, there's like a, a there's like a bloodthirstiness the in there. Deep under half the, a point for the, the burning. Story. So one point. You you're giving one point? Yeah, I'll give him one yeah. point too. So that is a two for Ulala. Letting me down, Louis. Now going on to Vion Throne. The Vion Throne. So his reign. Short. He ruled from his father Philip II's death on the 14th of July, 1223, until his own death on the 8th of November, 1226. So that's only three years, three months, and 25 days. This is mm. the shortest reign of any Capetian so far, mm. which gives him a pitiful it reign really score is. of 0.6. So this is the shortest reign since Louis V, the last Carolingian, yeah. who reigned for yeah. less than a year. Now it's up to the bubs. Now the bubs. Let's see if the bubs can bring it home. <laughs> yes. So let's go through all of the children. Let's do it. Yes. So with with Blanche of Castile, the mm-hmm. only woman he has children with, well, yeah. he has firstly Blanche, who dies very shortly after birth. Then the second child is Philip, who died aged eight. The third child is Alfonso, named after Blanche's father, who died young. Then we've got John, named after Blanche's uncle, who died young. <laughs> then the fifth child, we've got Louis, Louis the Ninth, who outlived his father, okay. becoming boy king. Then sixth child, we've got Robert, who became Count of Artois and went on to found a cadet branch. So good for him. Then we've got Philip, another Philip, who died at the age of two. Eighth child, we've got John Tristan, Count of Anjou, Mm -hmm. who only lived into his teens, but outlived his father. Ninth child, we've got Alfonso again, uh, who became Count of Poitou and lived into his 50s. Uh, So definitely outlived his father, but he didn't sire any heirs, interestingly. Oh. Um, so he, that's not a cadet branch. That's just Alfonso. And <laughs> then we've got Philip Dagobert, the 10th. Right, yeah, we're Philip bringing Dagobert. Dagobert back. Yes. Unfortunately, he only lived to age of 10. Um, oh. but he outlived his father. Okay. Mm. Cool. Um, then we've got Isabella, the 11th child, Louis's only surviving daughter. Wow. Uh, she, she her her story is actually quite interesting. Her her dowry was valued at twenty thousand uh, pounds, which was humongous for the time because she's the only yeah. royal daughter. Um, however, no marriage was successfully arranged for her. She lived as a very rich spinster into her fifties and became yes. a huge sponsor of the Franciscan Order, which is a new order at this time. 
Um, yes, which, goals of her just being a rich lady. Yes, and to top it off, she is now venerated as Saint Isabella of France by the uh, Franciscan Order. So that's fun for her. Then the twelfth child, we've got Stephen, uh, who only lived to the age of two, but by virtue of being born a year before his father's death, is still counted towards his score. Okay. Then the 13th and final child, we have a posthumous son, so a son born oh. after the death of the father, who is a biggie. His name is Charles, and he will become Count of Anjou. So this is the Charles I of Anjou, um, who people who know will know, but he is, is very important. But we'll get into what he does in later episodes, because we don't have time yet. But yeah, so. Blanche was pregnant with him at the time of... Well, he never death, got to meet his dad. We can count it. Never got to meet his dad, no. So that's how many children who outlived their father? Eight. Eight. With some just outliving. Yes. Which gives Louis VIII the highest children's score out of any French king ever. Wow. Like for the whole, all of our episodes. No one's going to get higher than eight. No. Damn. Actually, no one's eight. No one's, no one else gets. No one else probably gets 13. So uh, there's the, the some that get seven, but. Louis the Eighth is the only one who gets eight. Surviving oh my god, eight, four. eight. Kind of helps that he had lots of them and then died quickly. <laughs> yeah, um, or else they would have died before him. Some of them. Yeah. So that is that is thirteen point five points towards his Vion Throne score. So adding mm. on that little droplet of the rain score, <laughs> mm. that comes to a, to- a total Vion Throne score of fourteen point one. So, yeah, despite a ridiculously short reign, he actually narrowly beats his father, Philip II, in this category. With the bubs. With the bubs. And he will be in 13th place overall in Beyond Throne, which is not too shabby at all. I feel so that's the name of, like, a, to- a band. The bubs. Yeah, I imagine them as, like, a sort of 60s boy band. The bubs. Oh, I was imagining Kinda them like the as, like, boys. high five. Oh. <laughs> like a, a children's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the Wiggles. Like the yeah. Wiggles. Wake up, Jeff. Yeah. So, so, shall we tally up the score? Yes. The final score. 55.63. Okay. Mm. Above the 50 mark. That's good. Yes. He is the lowest since Henry the First. How many exactly. was that ago? <laughs> <laughs> you had a blank expression and I was like, exactly. Um, that was, uh, Henry I was wedged between Robert II and Philip I. He married Anne of Kiev. Yeah, 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 I know, but yeah. how many ago was that? Oh, that was, uh, blah, 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 blah. Henry I was 32 and now we're on 37. So that was five kings ago. Okay. Yeah. So with all of that said... I think we're in for an interesting decision, mm, decision. here. Because is he fascinating enough, entertaining enough, majestic and fabulous and irresistible enough to be released from our dungeon, to go through to the Battle Royale Championship and to be spared the guillotine? This is really hard. It is really hard. Because like, there's points where you're like, oh, he does like, you know, like, you know. But then there's other points you're like, oh, it really drives him down. Yeah, he's... Like, I feel as I'd be a great friend, but would I cheer for him compared to the other contendants? Hmm. 
I think you can definitely say that he and his life story are fascinating. But I feel that it's not fascinating enough for me. Really? Interesting. I don't know. Hmm. I just like, it's like he does stuff, but it's like, meh, meh, meh. See? There's no like glorious moment. Like, you know, if his father's that battle, there's a crusade. Mm. His crusades don't count, Louis. They were bloody internal ones. They're boring. Hmm. Thank God no sees how's it a crusade. I think I might be disagreeing with you on this one. I think we might have a split decision. Oh gosh. You know what that means? A coin? Yeah. Might have to get okay. out the coin. Get out the coin. Do you have a coin? <laughs> yeah. Oh, why you don't? No. Well, I mean, I'd have oh, to get up to get it. I just got up. Oh, I got to see a bit of leg, Eliza. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only wearing sleep shirt. Okay, so we've got the ten, and then we've got the palace. Palace or number? Which oh, these want? are Japanese coins. I forgot. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's say palace. He gets ensconced into 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 the 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 royal tent, and he gets spared the guillotine. Yeah. Number means his number's up. <laughs> okay. Number. No. <laughs> Oh no, Louie. Oh, I think, Eliza, I think people are going to be mad about this. People are going to be mad. People are going to be like, he was robbed. Um, but it's the coin's decision. The coin has spoken. Uh, the Japanese have decided. <laughs> Louis the lion. Louis the Obviously, eight. Japan it's does not Louis like him. Jim. The emperor has spoken. It has spoken. And the king shall oh. not. Keep his crown. We will never speak of this man again. <laughs> he is consigned to the dustbin of history. Oh, I don't feel good about this, Eliza. I, no, you don't. Uh, I really liked him. Maybe just because I've been so like deep into the research. I'm just yeah, like, like I find him interesting. Like he'd be a good friend, and like sure, I'd be a bit sad if he died, but I'm not going to go cheering for him if he was in the tournament mm. compared to the others. Even like, I guess Hugh Cape was kind of fun. He had some fun stories. Because I was thinking like, how does he, how does Hugh Cape get it? And he doesn't get it. But I was like, oh, Hugh Cape had some fun little stories. And he started. And he started the dynasty as well. Yeah. I mean, Louis VIII Louis kept started going. dynasty. No, he just kept it well, going, but he didn't He had stand. a lot of kids. <laughs> he may as well have. <laughs> he basically, Blanche gave birth to a whole country. <laughs> oh, well. It is what it is. C'est la vie, as the French say. The end is decided. Mm-hmm. We should really get a French coin. Yeah, we do need that, don't we? <laughs> but, like, not a euro, like an old French coin. A franc. Mm. Yeah. We should get one. I bet you there's one back in a home in Australia in my court in my brother's coin collection that he dumped yeah. on me because we do have a 400 year old um, Spanish coin. 
Yes, you mentioned you've mentioned that on several episodes, actually. I just think it's really cool. Okay. <laughs> I think you come on. It- do you have something that's four hundred years old? When we get up to Ferdinand and Isabella, you're going to be mentioning that coin nonstop. <laughs> yes. Well, come on. Do you have a coin um, from their reign? Do you know anyone else who has a coin from their reign? I don't. No. No. Exactly. Um, so that is the episode. Um, Any everyone messages? Go, go and uh, help out with the Intelligent Speech Fundraiser. It's a great conference yes. with lots of history podcasters involved, including... Hopefully us, hmm, maybe at some point, One day. maybe we can go there and present. Hmm. Although it'd be like 3am for Eliza. So I don't know if we could do that, but we'll see. I actually, I, I attended the I'll last one you. and um, it started at, uh, it started at like midnight our time. And th- this was back when I was in Australia. Oh, and, that would have been um, 11 my time. Yeah. And then it went till 10am our time. Because it was a, a day long thing, and uh, I tried to stay up, but I couldn't, and I, I fell asleep at three a.m. But then I I woke up at nine a.m. and I was there in time for the the after drinks at nine a.m. <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah. Um, um, check so yeah. out our Patreon. We're actually putting episodes on that. We're actually putting episodes out. We're gonna have an episode. You just give us a nosebleed donation. Even my grandma did. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully when this, around when this episode comes out, hopefully we'll be able to put out a, an episode on Carcassonne. Um, mm. And we also want to finally get around to doing our, our Vikings episode. I feel so that'd be name of a food, like a dish. Carcassonne. Like a Carcassonne. duck dish. A duck dish. Interesting. Yeah. Well, right, we'll get into what it. What dish would it's you a, think it's a, it's, a, it's a cool castle. I think of it as a castle because it's a castle. Yeah, but if you decided it was a recipe for food, what food would you associate it with? I think it would be some kind of seafoody, um, some like there would be shellfish. It's funny how you go to the sea and all that around the sea, and I'm just like, nah, it's it's dark, roasted mm. duck, mm. glaze. It's not that close to the sea; it's quite far inland. It's it's sort of mountainy. We'll get into the it. The duck can it can have. Um, we'll get into it in that episode. Save it for yeah, they the really see how my mind works as they listen <laughs> to this podcast, and they're like, "What the hell is she on or not on? <laughs> what should um, she be taking?" But no, sign up to the Patreon because uh, hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll have Coxon out. Uh, we've already put out uh, Robert Giscard, uh, which is a fun episode about a Norman guy mm. who goes and conquers some land in Italy. And hopefully we'll do Viking episode. And we'll hopefully do a, 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 an episode on the TV series Viking, just the Siege of Paris episodes. Yeah. Um, so that's like Harry a three episode, a three episode arc at the end of season three, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll do that. And there's a character called Rollo in it, <laughs> who is supposed to be Rollo but is not. Um, so, so that's it. Also, uh, last final plug. Um, I was a guest on the French history podcast. Oh, um, which I haven't mentioned to Eliza. You didn't even tell me. Yeah. Well, it kind of happened very randomly. Um, he basically (laughs) messaged me on Twitter saying like, do you want to come on? Um, basically we, we did an episode, uh, ranking the Carolingians, which obviously we've already done. Um, but we quickly found out that our, our, our barometer was quite different 
because we most of our categories relate to how interesting they were rather than how effective they were. <laughs> so we found it. I think it was Charles the Simple scored way higher for us than he did for him because he we found mm. him quite interesting. Um, yeah. But he was not necessarily a, a great king. <laughs> Have they released um, that episode? Uh, so uh, French History Podcast will be releasing that episode. I think it'll definitely have been released by the time this comes out. Um, cool. So you I, guys I check it out. Of October. Yeah, check it out. And we hope you'll enjoy Oh, we've got our our Halloween, Halloween episode too. Yeah, we hope you'll enjoy our Halloween episode, which will yes. be a, a week or two weeks before this. I will probably release it early, so it'll probably be two weeks before this. And yeah, Let us know yeah. what you think of the stories and my butchering of the Japanese language. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah we've got so much going on it's so fun um yeah. and uh we can't wait to get on to a blanche of castile yeah. yay and then Louis the ninth <laughs> who yeah he's interesting i i won't spoil anything but Louis the ninth okay. is a big deal <laughs> so that was gonna be au revoir from me and goodbye from me